By the way, the winners of the baseball weekend will travel in their own special air-conditioned Dreamliner bus, which will be supplied by Rapid Transit Lines. Now, I say that is some kind of traveling, no? Air-conditioned. It's a no-scoreball game, last half of the sixth inning. In comes the pitch. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the BBA Today. Um, this is episode 49, I believe, uh, and uh, Ron Collins is with me as normal, but we actually have a um, special guest this time. Uh, Aaron Weiner is uh, joining us. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Ted. Um, and this is Aaron and I have known each other in baseball leagues of mats for 20-ish real-life years now. This is the first time I've ever spoken to him, so it's a pretty exciting, pretty exciting day for me. I, I actually thought it would be a pretty exciting day for you. So that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Ron is always as happy to produce volumes of content in just absurd ways with just, you know, I don't know how much, you've been cracking out so much stuff recently, I don't even know what's going on, Ron. Well, you know, um, you take an X amount of value and you spread it out over 10,000 different pieces and it, and it all gets pretty thin, but it's fun. Yeah, it, it's still X amount of value. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. yep. So we have Aaron here today because uh, the first round of the draft concluded a little bit ago. He has been writing draft reviews for as long as I can remember. So we thought it would be fun to have Aaron on and pick his brain about the draft. And so we have I've come up with a bunch of questions for him. Um, I'm sure Ron has things he wants to ask. But Ron, do you care if I get started? No, go right ahead. So. One of the things I always wonder, Aaron, and, um, you know, you've done this in various versions over the years with grades and without grades and ranking stuff and, you know, or just more descriptive. What's your how do you approach things? You know, how do you approach looking at picks and position and, you know, the team need versus best available? Is that a thing that you look at very much? I mean, that's awfully tough for the number of teams we have now. I just kind of, you know, how do you get started on, on these projects? What's your mindset? Every time it's sort of a best available beginning. I, I look at look at the draft list. I look at look at the, the pool. I see where I would draft players in a bubble. In other words, no. If you were starting out a franchise and had nothing at all, what would you want? Uh, and and that's that's how I begin. And so it's kind of a and it's not a precisely numerical system the way the game does it. It's more of a more of a rank, feel ranking, kind of like, okay, so I see that this person has these sorts of attributes over that kind of that person, and I, I kind of weigh the two, and I was like, which one would I need to start a rotation? Which one would I want to start my middle infield? Uh, I, I do definitely pump up some rankings for starting pitchers and middle infielders and catchers. Those things do matter and are harder to get in every way than other things. Uh, as I was thoroughly convinced every single time I tried to trade Lorenzo, Lorenzo Palacios, um, and everyone told me told me no, even though he ranked twenty twentieth on the trade value list every single year. Nope, we we don't need him. He's an outfielder. No thanks. Um, so what what happens is that yeah, I, I I do elevate for certain positions. I do occasionally look at team need if it makes sense. Uh, most of the time it's not relevant. But because the player is raw and it's it's a certain situation in which you're not going to get anything out of that guy for three or four years. So who cares what they need? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you don't I'm, even know if they're going to develop. I'm completely with you on that. So, yeah. 
you know, I guess the other thing is you, you, when you look at this, do you have like a type of pick you like, you know, and I guess the other question is, is there, is there a least favorite type, you know, are there, are there things you consistently find yourself looking at and going, I, I like that way of doing things or things you consistently see that you're like, that's people keep making this mistake. This is a terrible thing to do. The one and only thing that I would say over and over again that I see people make this mistake, and they've been making it less often, but I see this enough, picking fragile players. Picking fragile players is the number one mistake that any drafter can make. Picking on talent is great. It would be nice if that talent actually played on the field. And so often that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that that's actually – I want to write on that for just a second because I I think that's actually a – uh, I, I agree 100% that people don't tend seem to look at that or care about it too much. And I would also write on it um, that when you pick a fragile player, especially a fragile pitcher at 18 and 19 years old, uh, I think that can still work. But you really need to pay attention to their innings pitched at rookie ball and at A ball. And I mean... So many people I see will draft fragile players, and I will occasionally also if the talent is just so uh, blurring. <laughs> but you need to take care of those players uh, from ages 16 through 21 because the injury field for 16 to 21-year-old pitchers is mm-hmm. uh, is a landmine. <laughs> and I notice that when every time I look at a Rockville um, pitching staff, you know what what do you see? Durable, durable. Iron Man, durable, normal, durable, Iron Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also drove my minors. That's 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 my thing. I, I make sure that I'll take a slightly less talented, durable player over a more talented, fragile player every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and I've been I've been paying attention to that more recently. I don't think I did that when I came into the league. It started to hit my mind towards the end as the injury curves got more realistic. I just think it's remarkable um, reading through your draft uh, piece this time was the first time I feel like I've noticed players dropping back really far due to injury concerns. I don't remember the player. It was a pitcher uh, with shoulder injuries that was taken awfully late for talent level. And um, I, I mean, I think we were somewhere like in the third, like the thirties when this is a guy who had similar talents to people that were going up in the tens and teens and I don't know that we used to see that. So it's interesting that you're noticed. We've all noticed kind of the same thing here, that people really are starting to look at injuries. Fernando Rodriguez went nine this year. I, I, I would I would have seen him three, two, three, four in some other drafts. Yeah, that's that's one, too. You made the you made the comment there on that. Ron, did you have a, any particular thing you wanted or you want me to just keep going down my list? Uh, no, going down your list. Um, I'm. I'm interested in, in hearing what Aaron has to say here, because um well, I'm just interested in stealing as many good ideas as I possibly can. So ask him all the questions. <laughs> um, the there... ideas are free. You can't have my draft list. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that. That is the next question. Is is when you do this analysis? Like, I think it would be tough to do this if you didn't have a decent draft list. Draft list yourself if you hadn't put some effort into looking into players that are in there. Um, otherwise, you'd be starting from scratch. So how? How deep do you get? Like how when you're looking at the guys, you know, we I mean, the the first round of the drafts are getting a little bit long in my opinion. But when you're looking at players, when you're writing up the recaps on players that are towards the back end of that, the guys that are you know 35, 40, 45 in the first round of the draft, um, how much depth do you have for comparison to, to the next 50 players? Because um, I could tell you I'd be out. <laughs> yeah, I, I 
Well, I can tell you 30, 35 is where I drafted first this year. Mm-hmm. So at, at the, at the minimum, I had to kind of look at, I didn't have to look at all 35 players. I, at first it's a data dump. It's like, I go through the drafts and I'm like, okay, so this guy could get drafted and this guy could get drafted, and this guy could get drafted. And then what happens is the draft pool sort of thins by itself, like magic, you know, it's, it's because 34 people get to pick in front of me and there's the magic. But I collect all of the players that I think are, and I, I put in quotes, draftable. There's a couple every year that I get uh, once the pool thins out a little bit too. Um, but because I'm always drafting at the end of the round, or at least I have for a long time, 10 years straight of playoffs or do that, um, you, you have to – I just do a, a huge data dump of players I think are draftable at all. Once I get there, then I, then I really – with about 10 players left, about 25. And it's a six-hour clock, so – you know that that literally is two and a half days if it goes the whole the whole time, and that doesn't include overnights. So I have like multiple days to go from 25 to 35, and at that point I start to sort of thin down the pool to 10 players or 20 players, and then I see who goes, and then I thin it down to 10, and then when it gets to three or four players, I figure out who I'm taking. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, don't know, I just uh. You know, I, I always marvel that you seem to have things to say about um, guys that I, you know, my draft strategy is kind of show up at the nth hour and uh, pick out of three guys and then try to pay attention to when I'm getting close again. So I miss these huge gaps in between where a bunch of guys go and I'm like, oh, I don't know, or whatever. So do you well, I assume there... that I assume that a part of that is uh, retroactive also. Right. I mean, if you're talking about I mean, I know when I came into the league. One of the one of the very first I think I actually came into the league uh, environment before I had a team uh, during during a draft. And I think one of the very first posts that I saw was like Aaron's 2024, maybe um, breakdown, right? Of yeah. every player uh, paragraph or two of insight uh, across every player. I guess I, I guess the way I would follow up on Ted's question there is is that do you have that level of thought on every player at the time that they are being drafted, or um, the description that you just laid out of your draft process is it kind of winnows itself down to the point where you know you're making a decision out of four or five players at your pick time <laughs> at the time of your pick right. Uh, so the the difference between making a draft and analyzing the draft after it happened, I'm making an assumption there that uh, you don't necessarily go through every level of detail on every player until you have to write that draft note. Is that? Oh, oh no, no that that I think would that I think would require John Sickles' salary. <laughs> no. that, that's what that would require. There you go. Um, no, nothing, nothing like that. Yeah, it, I, I go, I do, do write up the the things as I go. Um, sometimes I go back and adjust based on later picks. Um, what I think of a person's draft, but you notice I try to keep my opinion on on whether or not it's a good pick or a bad pick out of the review for the most part. Mm-hmm. I just try to write what I see in the player instead of you know instead of trying to judge a person for picking that person i try to judge the player themselves whether or not you know what what i think of that particular player and what i think will happen could happen with that player there you um, go. but yeah like i definitely it, it, the, the first round this year was 49 picks if, if i had a crystal ball i could tell you where the 49 picks would go beforehand i'd have written the thing i'd have written the thing last tuesday but yeah i, I just <laughs> as i go 
Do, uh, it's, it's a shame. You know, you mentioned John Sickles' salary. It's a shame that we can't get paid to do this. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely would just do this all the time. Hey, hey, juicy podcasts. PPT, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like juicy yeah. PPT. That's so, right. I don't know that I'm going to let you get away with uh, not not calling out some. I, I might, at the very least, I'm going to ask you for picks you really like towards the end of this. Um, I have some picks that I don't like, but it's me, so of course there's stuff I don't like. What do you think, though? You know, we keep talking about the length of this, and uh, you know, at first when I saw the draft, and I actually don't know, there weren't that many round one supplemental picks. Were there? This is a lot of people not signing last year and getting a compens- compensatory pick this year, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, also it's the it's 32 teams. Right. And I also read up the S1. So it's not as many as you think. Okay, because I don't know, it just, it, man, 49 picks in the, was it 49? Something like well, that. Well, it's 32 real first rounders. I think it was like seven comp picks. And so it's only like 10 people. It, that's still a lot for any given year. The draft last year was not impressive. I didn't, I don't think I wrote it up last year on purpose. It was kind of, so it was so, so low, I think, last year that I just didn't bother. See, oh, these, I, I love this draft. I, I think that um, I do feel bad for the people at the top. Um, I would like to see a clear, you know, number one, number two type. They don't have to be 80 grades, but people in the 70s would be fine, you know. Um, but I much prefer this style where it's kind of, you know, a bunch of similar players and all of them could be good or a bunch of them could be bad or, you know, I, I, the, the, the top 10 picks get future hall of famers type drafts or just, and I don't even notice when you, I remember, you know, in those, I remember reading your pieces um, during the super drafts uh, from a few years back. Oh yeah. Number 10. And I remember you literally saying something to the extent of, and another like 10 power, 10. (laughs) (laughs) That was Palacios. Was that Palacios? Okay. That was Palacios. Yeah. That's awesome. Do we think that this is kind of a general question, but do you think that as we go forward, if we stay with drafts that are maybe not quite like this, but more in this range, that people will be more, but people will be more likely to sign those guys that they're like, eh, I'm going to throw this dude back and try again next year. Or do you think this is the new normal? I had a little bit of a different dish on this. Um, if you read my, if you read my, my, my San Antonio, um, San Antonio, pick reviews this year. I mentioned, I mentioned, for example, that uh, Jed Flores, who San Antonio took number 11, I, I, I call him exhibit A as to why we're moving to real ratings. My thinking is that Jed Flores is an 868 type. That's what I think. I think he's like an 868. And 868 would have been the sort of player that would be, that five or six years ago we'd have gotten excited about. At this particular moment, we would be jumping up and we'd be jumping up and down and saying, I got the biggest deal draft. Because of the relative ratings, like at eight, at eight six eight relative ratings is that's a big picture now, and so I think that has a lot to do with the, a lot to do with why we're seeing a little less enthusiasm. I mean, last year's draft really wasn't very good. I mean, if we get down to it, just really wasn't very good. But I think once we start getting to, you know, sort of real ratings again. Um, I think you'll see more enthusiasm as to teams signing people because they'll be able to talk themselves into an eight six eight where they might not have thought a six five six was much of a guy. Well, that's that was my that was another question I had for you. You've already kind of answered is the what do we think when we see real ratings the six 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 player is? 
Um, you know, is he seven seven seven? Is he eight six eight? Like you're proposing? Is he nine five seven? You know, like what is? It's going to be interesting when the curtains pulled back yeah. as to where these things actually go. Um, yeah, I we think, don't really know, and that's what's great about it. Yeah, and and I I I think your I think your bet that the stuff numbers are for these middling guys. The high-end guys, the guys that are already 12-13, will stay 12-13. That's the way relative ratings seem to have functioned last time. But it would be, I mean, maybe Ron can chip in on this a little bit. We're getting a little bit off draft topic here. But um, <laughs> it would be, I, I, I think the best bet is that we are going to see the stuff rating on these sixes and sevens go up a little bit, and some of the fives even. Yeah, I think that could could be. And I don't know that we're really getting off topic because, you know, what is the draft but the uh, ultimate About, yeah. assessment of how we analyze players, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, we are select, we're, we get a list of 4,000 players. And at the time that we draft, we it is our job as high-powered GMs <laughs> To pick the guy who is best, right? And so it to me, it is all about reading ratings to start with and then overlaying it with whatever we feel the development fields are and the injury fields are and and so forth, right? I mean, so, you know, um, Aaron, when you started, you were talking about uh, essentially kind of starting at a best athlete available and unable to pick uh, and not thinking about it from a position uh, factor of need, right? Um, and I tend to agree with that statement, except that I look at need differently, right? I'm not looking at need of my Yellow Springs nine level team. I'm looking at the pipelines that I have mm-hmm. of players, right? And so if I've got two shortstops, then I don't need a shortstop. If I've got two shortstops in the pipeline, then I don't need a shortstop and I will only take a shortstop if it is clearly like the best player ever. Right. Um, And so that's a, that's my one little twist on it. And to me, it is all about analyzing the, you know, analyzing the ratings and this question of what is relative, what does relative ratings do to us is one of the things that I've been writing about for the past, you know, ever since we went to relative ratings is well, what do they mean? (laughs) Um, and I think it will be fascinating because um, I'm pretty sure that we will be going to uh, going to the full true ratings here. I think it will be fascinating to see exactly how far the bars move. Right, that, <clears throat> that will be an intellectual exercise as far as I am concerned. I'll certainly want to capture <clears throat> the old ones and see what happened. Yeah, yeah, like that's right. that's gonna, it's going to be really interesting for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, well. Aaron, if do you have any? If you don't have any other specific things you want to, I'm going to start asking you about like particular players and pointing out guys I like and what I think of them. Um, if that's all right. Well, before we do that, and, and what Ron said is is true. Also, I had I drafted three people in the first round this year. Three people I drafted in the first round. I drafted a first baseman is really a catcher. I, in my head, the guy I drafted is a catcher, not a first baseman. Yep. Um, he's a bad defensive catcher. Like he's gonna. He's going to let a lot of people do this. But the fact that I could play a guy with his kind of skills at catcher, that here's the biggest problem I had in my organization. That is a little bit of a need pick. But I also thought he was the best hitter available at the time, too. Kind of a kind of a twofer uh, in that way. Um, and then the other, the other guys I drafted, I drafted a left-handed pitcher because I don't have a lot of those. 
I, I took that over maybe a couple of pitchers I liked better that were righties. And a second baseman. And why did I take a second baseman? Well, because why wouldn't you take a second baseman? <laughs> who, who doesn't need an extra second middle infielder in your, in your minors, right? Who can hit? Yeah, you so, know, it's, it's interesting. Ron made the point of the only time he drafts for he would take, you know, that shortstop um, is if they're clearly the best player available, you know, like when he already had shortstops throughout his minors. I'm not, I'm not sure that I would go that way. And, and the reason being is that if, like you're saying, Aaron, if you're looking at guys up the middle, you can never mm. have too many. Um, never. Like in, if, if I have more than I can play and develop, then I, then I can trade them. You know, it's the, I hate drafting corner outfielders. I hate drafting <laughs> yeah. first baseman. That's one thing too, right? And, and not just that. Shortstops, right? You got a good fielding shortstop. Good chance they play second base. Good chance they play third base. Right. And their glove will be such a huge plus at those positions that you can deal with a little bit of the bat not being not being quite as good. Yeah, like that's how I look at it too. So take that, Ron. Now, I'm sure that you agree that we're, you know, like I said, we're splitting hairs here like we always do, and you agree with probably any of that. Anyway. Well, I mean, splitting splitting hairs is is the joy of the league, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? When, it, when it comes down to it, and the, you know, proof is in the pudding before it's all said and done. I think the, the fundamental uh, message that goes into almost everything that we do here is that there are a hundred ways to to do good things. So you try something and the the most important thing is to have a, in my mind, the most important thing is to have a thought out plan for how you're going to go about doing things. Uh, I completely get and agree with the idea of draft the best player because then you can trade that player. But I also uh, counter that with the trade market is not something I have the con- have control over, right? That's true. I may not be able to flip that player into the value that I need. So you weigh that against the two. And my uh, organization philosophy is built on waves, right? Um, I want a wave. I always want to have at least one wave of player in every position coming up through the ranks. Because, yes, at the end of the day, I can usually trade uh, pretty good players who are ready to play. I have a hard time sometimes trading for value in players that are further down, um, down in the organization. So unless they happen to have all blue bars all over the place, and then after they hit about 18, after they hit about 19 or 20 years old, if they still have all those blue bars, then I don't want to trade them. <laughs> right? It's just that between 17 and 20, they they um, there's a, like I said, there's that minefield of development for a young player that is extremely angsty. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, so let's let's look at some individual players. I think the first pick, and I actually completely agree with Aaron what you wrote here. Um, the the first guy that jumped out to me in terms of like, you know, value above slot compared to the rest of the people was was Del Willis with Long Beach, right at, at number five. Um, yeah, he just I I'm curious as to how he slipped to where he did. Yes, you know, you mentioned that the curveball's a little bit low on him. But I mean, six for a third pitch and curveballs develop, you know, so it's not like it's it's something that would totally scare me off the guy. Um, stamina is not amazing at five, but it's not like it's four or three. He just it looks like a really, really solid, solid pitcher. Um, I was excited about that one. I didn't know if you had any other thoughts about why he lasted as long as he did. 
So, so I, I looked at the people above them, um, and, and there's some trends you notice. For example, Wichita has a long. They, they're they're apparently a team that's looking to try to improve faster than their record suggests. That's why you might take a Sizemore over Del Willis, because if you have a, if you have a guy like Del Willis, you know you're you're looking when you're looking at, at, at him at, at kind of a uh, you know kind of a couple years development. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to use him as a starter yet. He he could he could probably pitch out of your bullpen almost tomorrow, uh, like be a long guy. There's there's a couple issues with Willis. I mean he's you know he's 21 years old. He's still got to develop a couple of his pitches, and uh, the game only gives him a 55. The five stamina is a big deal too. Um, like you look at the five stamina, and you're like, well, maybe he's not a number one starter. You know, like he's he, you know he's He's maybe like a number two or like a number three starter is going to go like six, six and a half innings, six, six and a, ever six, six and a half innings a game and, uh, and, and never really go deep into games. It's not going to be that guy you can depend on for like that complete game shutout, That's you know, cool. and some of the, some of the guys picked ahead of him, you know, Thompson, for example, Thompson's a lefty. I think that's why he got picked there. Oh, he's yeah. a lefty and he's 19 and developed about as far as Willis is. Yeah. So uh, he's got a he's got a stronger development path. But being a lefty, yes, is an interesting question. So I, I, I like Thompson. Seven. I like Thompson a lot too. It's just that control being it too is the thing that concerns me that that will fall apart on him rather than develop. And he's a totally different pitcher. Seven eight seven is is gorgeous. Um, seven eight five is, you know, I'd still take it. I just I worry about those guys when their control is just lagging way behind everything else, and his isn't way behind. Another ones I liked I liked pitching wise. Fred and I are often seeing uh, the same things. I really liked uh, the John Mallott pick, the twenty seven. Uh, oh yeah, City. that's actually not a bad pick at all. Uh, yeah, what did you think about that one? I, I you know uh, I'll, I'll let you go. What do you th- what did you think about that one? It kind of stood out to me. Um, so the thing the thing about Mallott, right, and um. You know he's he's got some he's got some some issues with you know with stuff. I mean that's that's one of those things where he's he doesn't he isn't the hard type you know hard thrower type I think um, and uh, and that that has a lot to do with the with the issues that he's you know why why he'd fall that far you know and and I actually sort of agree with him falling that far. It makes kind of makes sense to me. But you know at the same time like you know yeah he could be the sort of guy who who um, with a little little velocity improvement, he could be he could be pretty good, and and he's one of those guys who could. You also you also see that sort of pitching spread, and you're like, well, you know, he he could potentially become a um, a big time lefty reliever if they converted him, maybe, or or possibly, you know, possibly a much better starter than we think. But I, he's got some warts too. But eight movements, it's that kind of thing where that's a very rare stat now. Like that eight movement, and it's hard to get that kind of guy. So uh, I, I like him too. And that was my thought: is that it's the timing, right? Like if this guy was taken earlier, I, I agree that he fell far. I just think that that point in the first round, he's like a good, you know, lottery value upside pick. You know, like I just at that range, I'm a lot more excited about a guy like Malat than I am, say, um, Katsunoki Honda that Boise took, you know, shortly afterwards. Yeah. Um, whereas Honda, you know, similar overall potential. And frankly, if if both of them develop to the player 
that they are by by their ratings. Oh, okay, you know, no big difference. But you know, in in Malat, you can see the framework of something that could be good. Whereas in Honda, uh, he's kind of a not a great not a great defender at third. He'll be fine there for a time. Um, and really, if he got desperate, you could put him in right field. Um, but he brings you know gap power and slap hitting gap power and some speed and like. Yeah, and and I guess the thing is, is we never know how these players are going to turn out, right? That's the one of the things that that you've probably you know learned doing these drafts thing, these draft evals for years, and I definitely learned doing all the trade discussion, is that we're going to be wrong more often than we're right because it's just so hard to say six years down the road what a player is going to be. Someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to bump, another guy's going to lump. You just don't really know. You know, I think this gets a little bit more into uh, draft strategy, which, you know, is a whole other topic that we could go on with for forever. The other uh, the other thing I've got, I picked two guys as kind of late pick wins. I'm kind of wondering what you thought about those two. Or do, you, or do you have any? Do you have any that jumped out to you or someone just nailed it with a late pick and stole a player? Um, I can tell you two players that were actually stolen from me directly. I picked 35 and 38. Um, and... I thought both Elvin Hilliard and Eric Buxton were both really good picks. Um, those, those were, those were my. It, it, I, I would have taken either one of them if there wasn't, if, if Manuel Moreno was not still on the board at that point. I would have easily have taken either one of those picks. Uh, I think both of those guys are going to be really plus relievers, really, really good players. I, I think Joe Quid Martinez. He, he's he's an interesting player. To me, um, he's, he's a fragile type, but he's but he's still earning 22. He should come on really fast, and they might get something out of him, even though he's even though he's injury prone. Um, I'm wondering about Vincent Lewis. I I, I like to know what to a certain extent. I like to know what you guys think about Vincent Lewis because I couldn't decide what the heck with what, what was up with Vincent Lewis. Vincent Lewis is me waiting for relative ratings to turn off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, think so. I don't. Yeah. I'm imagining that he's six seven six. That he's just, that's the only thing I can say is that he's like two points below six seven six in every every category. And and when you think about it, I mean, you know, the the pitches make sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, why is he? I don't know, Ron. Do you have any thoughts besides that in terms of? I know that you kind of have gotten to the point where you're like, I don't care about potentials and overall ratings, and this is probably why. But yeah. well, it's, it's not that I don't care well, about them right. it's uh you know they're 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 hard to trust and yes this is probably an answer an example of why um you know when as soon as matt toggles the switch i think vincent lewis is one of the candidates of players to go look at um you know all these guys that that are sitting at 666 have a green in some form or another you'd guess are probably higher up um, but then on the other side, I mean, just to be absolutely blunt, I do not trust out of the park to do anything particularly right in these things. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so the, that's the problem. I, I can get myself twisted up in overthinking and overanalyzing and pretending like, well, yeah, that must mean X, Y, Z. Uh, when in reality, it just means that the code isn't particularly good. Right. But on, on the other hand, it could well they'll be right. <laughs> um, you just have to you, you have to kind of play that. And when you look at Vincent, uh, one of the reasons why I would suggest that they that it's 
probably that you guys are probably in the right space thinking that they're probably, you know, those ratings are probably more like the six, seven, six, whatever, um, is performance. I mean, his numbers, yes, it's high school, but his numbers are pretty good. Um, yeah. In a 44-inning sample size, he's got a 3.89 ERA. So, you know, I don't know how I, I don't know exactly how to analyze him either. I think he's a pretty good uh, gamble. I looked at that. Uh, uh, I looked at him, uh, obviously, when I was drafting also. And, um, you know, I ended up choosing the guy that I chose specifically for the movement uh, point and the, and I loved Aaron's little quote. Uh, I'm looking at his write-up. I love his write-up. Yeah. He would look a whole lot better if he could have like two more notches on his velocity. If he ends up in the majors at a 98 mile an hour velocity, then he's going to be a really interesting pitcher. So yeah. that's why I ended up taking the guy I took rather than, than, um, than Lewis. Well, he was the other one. Um, so when I, you know, I had guys I'd picked out. Um, Aaron stole one of them with uh, Elvin Hilliard was one I thought Louisville, you know, did a great yeah, job. Yeah, I hate here. Louisville. Yep. I hate Louisville. God damn it. I mean, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> and then um, I actually really liked your pickup of Big Jeff Pfeffer, um, partially because he's neither big nor named Jeff. Um, <laughs> and uh, But also, I mean, I, I agree. I like, the, I like the, you know, I'm much better at this with pitchers than I am with batters at looking at a guy and seeing a frame of something that can turn into a good thing if it's not already there. Um, and that was, that was another one I liked. I do have a bunch and the of other, picks. the other piece of that is uh, if he does get a, a, uh, a bump or two in his velocity, um, he could also wind up being a interesting uh, reliever conversion. Mm-hmm. Right. If he gets a couple of bumps on his velocity and that stuff goes up to maybe six or seven, um, then you've got a, you know, seven, eight, six starter with six stamina. Let's say that he drops stamina down to one point. I would probably convert him immediately and uh, he'd be become a nine, eight, six, ten, eight, six kind of a reliever. And that's a guy that I want throwing about 100 innings a year. Yeah. When I look at these drafts, the consistently the things that stand out to me in terms of people, uh, picks I don't like are um, good overall potential players, guys in the 50s and 55 range that are, they're usually bats that are some combination of right-handed with poor defense for their position. An example of this, the 13th overall pick, uh, I believe that was to Omaha. Um, sorry, Niles, who's, um, you know, Jeff Patton is rated potential 60. Well, he's not particularly fast. He's okay there. He'll be an adequate shortstop at some point, unless he gets a couple bumps, but he's never going to be like an amazing gold glove shortstop. He's right-handed, and he strikes out all the time, and his contact is six, so I don't see a great bat, I don't see a great glove, and I don't see any like amazing speed, and I'm not sure what the guy's strength is. You know, it's the sort of, those are, and I, I feel like you can find those every year where there's just... Um, you know, Ron, you're talking about how the game puts together potentials. And this is where I really, this is where I particularly don't trust it. I think sometimes the game adds up a lot of C-level tools. And if you have a whole bunch of C-level tools, sometimes you end up with like, you know, a B-level grade. And that's not how that works. A bunch of C-level tools and that, that makes you a C-level player. So that's, you know, sorry. Yeah, what, what are sorry your thoughts on that, Aaron? Patting out. Um, specifically, I think the guy's looking at his... Um, 
that that's a need pick, I think, more than anything else. I think that that ended up, ends up being a need pick. They right now have um, the currently underwhelming Jose Montano working at shortstop. He he might get better. He he he's he's had one year where he's had negative one and a half WAR, and one year where he w- was fine. Uh, but he's mostly a glove guy. Like he's never going to be a really big bat. And if you look at Patton, he actually has pretty good pop for a middle infield. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of. There's actually not that many shortstops that have seven power. Like if you look around the league, there's quite a few shortstops that can hit for contact, but there's very few that'll that, that might knock you 25, 30 home runs. And especially in Omaha's park, where he's a home home homer dome or home home run park of some sort. I don't, I don't know if it's dome. Then you know. He, he's he might be looking for offensively based shortstop who can field a little, which is which is what Pat Nod is. He's he's an okay fielder, you know. He's an okay fielder. He's not not going to be anything special ever. Uh, and, and you know they, they do tend to improve just ever so slightly. Actually, they do, right? Yeah, they're underlying. Yeah, they yeah. yeah the, other, the other thought that I have on that because I was actually wondering about Pat Nod. Um, I can't remember if it was on Slack or on the forum or just in one of the gazillions of peoples that I talk with, peoples that I talk with. <laughs> um, you know, I was uh, I was hearing kind of a buzz that he might go like up in the top five or seven picks. And that kind of that made my made me scratch my head. I think down in the teens, that's not a really bad uh, place for a guy like this to go in this draft. I could make an argument that I would pick somebody else in those slots. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think at the end of the day, what what he we tend to get caught up in this idea of whether a guy is going to be a kind of a championship leader or player or not. I could see this. This is the type of player that I want on my team. Mm-hmm. He's a one and a half war, two war guy that you can plug in for 500 K. And when he goes through arbitration, he's never going to get up more than about three to five million dollars. Um, so you, at six years, um, shortstop is an extremely hard position to find an elite player at. Um, if you can, if you can stumble upon one, fantastic. But what I would be looking at, he's 19. He's probably a pick of need. What it struck me was, uh, if he's a pick of need, uh, <laughs> this is a bit of a problem because at his development level, uh, he's not going to be around for at least three years, um, and maybe a little bit longer. So for me, it would be a pipeline pick. I would definitely be interested in in this guy. Um, I would love to have him in my organization, but I would be slotting him into the pipeline and expecting that, in my mind, organizationally, he's going to be a guy that I just pencil in and not worry about for five years, right? So, well, if you don't mind me making a little bit of news, yeah. I would have taken Patton out over George Washington. Interesting. Now Without I have to look at George Washington actually. again. Why? Done that in a hurry, and and mm-hmm. I, I'm I mean I I'm a little bit I'm a little bit down on George Washington. Um, not not the father of our country version, but the but the BBA version. <laughs> I'm, I'm still all pro wooden teeth guy. Um, but the um, you know I'm a little down on George Washington. If if there's any one player I thought could have dropped much further than he dropped. It would have been him, and and not because, by the way, he's not clearly the best first baseman in the draft. Because he's clearly, I, I think he's clearly got it over Anthony Allen. You may have noticed there's a huge glut of righty first baseman in this draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but just you know, looking at him, I mean, I I love the whole Moneyball thing. Um, 
but it's it's he's he's basically basically completely raw at 19 years old and he's 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 got to get all in my mind he's got to get all of that eye to really get there and if you look at players similar to him with the majors they don't quite measure up as righties with those kinds of numbers as far as they should the, the similarity scores aren't great so that's that's part of it too yeah, I could see that. I mean, I really could. Like, he doesn't have much room for error. He has to get all of pretty much every one of those ratings. If he's six contact for ABK, that's a totally different player. If he's only like seven I, or if he's only eight power, that's a totally, I mean, it's, it's not even a good player. So, yeah. Um, and he's not really a first baseman, right? Like, unless he gets some error improvement or range improvement, I wouldn't want to play that guy in the field. I would, you know, um, you know, I tend to prioritize defense, but, I can't imagine him rating much higher than maybe four at first base, maybe five. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's, I still like, uh, I like him over Pat Nod, but I could see the argument that you're making um, in terms of which is a more useful player uh, long-term. So maybe I'm wrong. The one interesting note I've seen while we're looking at this that should play in uh, uh, Pat Nod's favor is that the game describes his personality as a good character and not much to dislike. And I think that tracks because he's Canadian. And so that is pretty much just on the nose and, you know, good yeah. job. Being well, and, and in that light, I'll go back to Washington a little bit. Uh, Washington's intangibles are, are pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah. And will, yeah. And I, and I will admit that um, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I tend to have a, a uh, gut reaction that uh, development paths for players with intangibles who are good, uh, tend to be a little bit more certain, but uh, what does a little bit mean? To me, the main issues that I see with with Washington, um, and I am showing my own personal biases here and how I analyze things. Uh, if I have an issue with Washington, it's his four gap, um, mm-hmm. right? Because right? I don't even worry too much about his avoid case. He's one of the kind of guys that I don't worry about too much on the on ABK. Because if he does end up getting his that contact up to seven um, and the eye up to eight, you know, he's going to be a productive major league baseball player. And I don't really worry about his defense that much. A two is uh, a one can't play. (laughs) A one range infielder can't play, but a, a two range infielder at first base can play, you know, well enough. So I, I thought from a organizational standpoint, I think I've said before, my frame of reference when I have a guy in the first four or five picks is I want to have a guy who I'm pretty certain is going to make some kind of impact in the in the major leagues in Washington. To me, will do that. Pat Nod, I'm not sure, is going to be an impact player. But I can also see uh, Aaron's point on on him. I just think that Pat Nod's a little bit – that's a little bit too early. My biggest problem actually with Washington beyond what I said is the is the what I wrote in my write up. So so what? Go ahead. Tell tell me how many home runs Washington hit as a as a high scorer. <laughs> as a high schooler. Yeah. How many? Yeah. How many do you think he? How many do you think he hit in high school? Uh, crud. I don't have that available right now. Someone with the game open look. Well, I'll tell you that that he it would be none. Right. And that's because he's play. never had it at bat. Right. Okay, that's what I'm looking at the HTML, and I thought maybe something just wasn't tracking. But okay, yeah, so he's never yeah. played. Like he's never hit once <laughs> at the plate. 
I don't know. I don't know where they're getting there. He must have. He must have had the mother of all pro days. Like, like just, just, just the mother of all. Like, was, you know, just, just showed up and was like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't swing at anything. And yeah, look at that fire. Look at this. Was he a pitcher? Uh, and that's what I wonder. I don't know what they're making. There's yeah, I think he. I think he pitched in high school. Two innings, too. That's bizarre. So there's a couple guys like this now in this draft, and I was wondering, I keep looking for, you know, because you're always wondering, oh, am I going to find the guy that's like a batter, but he's actually a pitcher and he's amazing and I'm going to get him in like round 15. That never happens anymore. But um, there's a few guys with like fielding ratings at pitcher that are pretty impressive. And, you know, the other thing with George Washington is his sack bunts of 10, which is usually an OTP pitcher rating, but then you go look at his uh, pitching ratings, and they're awful. So I don't – there's a couple guys yeah. like that. I don't really know exactly what's happened. Yeah. Like As a pitcher, he makes a good first baseman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like whoever whoever is running uh, running high school baseball in Leesburg, uh, Virginia, just needs to get their head out of their ass. Um, <laughs> you know, I will say the other thing I get worried about with – and I don't know if there's anything – to it is these high power guys that are 19, 20 years old and have none of it developed. Um, power can take a long, long time to come in. It is one of the last skills to develop, but I'd like to see some development there. I, you know, I feel like I've had, I've drafted these kind of guys before and had them, you know, go three, four years and maybe go from one to like four during that time before they just lump to nothing as a prospect. So it does, it does worry me a little bit. I don't know if you guys have any noticed any trends on that or, not, nothing specific. It's 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 like it's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah, I have uh, a much much better feel for that in the raw rating uh, world. world than in relatives, right? That's because one of the one of the thoughts that I have around relative ratings is uh, oftentimes I think you know a, a guy might pick up a guy who is potential one a current ten, right? Guy might pick up 50 points in one year and go from 10 to 60, and that's a huge amount of development. But he might or might not even pick up a point, right, in his relative rating, depending on, you know, depending on on stuff. <laughs> um, I just I don't know exactly how real the one to tens are under relative ratings. I've done a lot of playing with it. I think they're fairly real, but there's also some weirdness to me I, I i just don't know what i'm talking about when it gets down to relative ratings oh, uh, that that evens the field a little bit uh for guys but at the end of the day i just I, I i don't know how to think about development in that early range of one to three ratings right yeah and that's just yet another reason to move back to back to real ratings um well you know we're starting to you know push up on the hour mark here run a little bit wrong um does anyone, do either of you guys have any other, you know, major notes you wanted to make about this particular draft or any players in it that are picks you'd like to, that, that stand out? Or should we just maybe go ahead and wrap up this episode? Sometime this week, I'm going to be punching up a um, a bargains bust thing for the first three rounds. Oh, excellent. That's, uh, that's exciting great. exciting to hear about. So that yeah, gives us uh, something to look forward to. Well, yeah. uh, and let me uh, let let me take about five minutes here and and do my thing because I did you know Justin put oh, up a um, right a post uh, a couple of days ago that of course got my brain thinking because you know that's that's my own form of insanity is is when somebody does something it makes me go huh 
And Justin's uh, feature was all about, can you tell who a good drafter is, right? Um, and so, of course, what I did that evening then, and I'm going to post this um, spread, little spreadsheet that I did, but I want to give you guys a, a couple of, uh, I want to give you a head up, heads up and ask you some questions, right? Because what I basically did is I took all of the, I took all of the draft classes from 2025 to 2039. So basically, what is that 14, 15 years worth of draft? And for each draft class, um, I went through and I determined what order people picked in, right? First through 24th when we had 24 teams and first through 28th or 30th, whatever, uh, on the number of teams we had. Uh, so in 2025, Yellow Springs drafted first, right? I then took the total number of war that came out of that draft for each team, right? And started to, uh, and rank them by war, right? So in this, in uh, 2025, for example, Louisville drafted 10th. Their total war was 48.7, and that actually ranked first, right? At the end of the at the end of the process here, Louisville's 2025 class created 48.7 war so far, and he picked out of the number 10 order. Follow me so far? Yep. Okay. So I then took and said, on average. How much war does the number one pick make? How much war does the number two pick make, et cetera, et cetera? And at that stage, ranked everything again, right? So at the end of the day, what I end up getting is Louisville in the number 10 slot gathered 48.7 war that year, but the average number 10 slot gathers 19 war. Right. Right. So out of the number 10 slot, Louisville did better than average for 2025. For each year, then, how many years was Louisville above average and below average? Right. And so therein you get start getting the frame of reference. What does a good drafter mean? A good drafter means out of the slot that you're in. This is my supposition out of the slot that you're in. Did you do better than average or worse than average? Right. That's much more useful than knowing that, well, we had a lot of first, second and third picks and we got a lot of good players. Exactly. And I started and I looked at it from the average standpoint, uh, because originally I was doing, you know, how much better or worse that did you do on ranking? Right. Um, and then I realized that, well, any time that you've got a number one pick, you can't ever do any better than average. Right. Because if you can't rank better than number one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then I took. Each one of the uh, you know teams better or worse than average, right? And better or worse than war, and I ranked them, right? So which teams consistently do better than than their slot average, and which teams consistently do worse than their slot average? And I have that right now. This is the the spreadsheet that I'm going to post, but I want to ask you to do some guessing, right? Um, if we Can look, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Twenty. Uh, let's start with. I've got two different cuts, right? One of them is uh, twenty twenty nine through twenty. Um, sorry, twenty twenty five through twenty thirty nine, which is the full fifteen years. So that's only the original twenty. Uh, that's only. Uh, I'm sorry. One is. That's only the original twenty four teams, right? Because I can't judge. Uh, yeah. I can't. 
Uh, I only want to judge the teams that were in the league at the start of that era. The next one I've got is from 2029 to 2039, which is after the first expansion. I've not done um, after the other expansions just because there's not enough meat, right, into the into the mill. If so, I'm guessing, Jacksonville. Yeah. Jacksonville would be one of the top of that list. So I would throw in uh, Rockville, New Orleans, Yellow Springs are three that I think I feel like I should say Las Vegas, but I don't really think so. Matt had, Matt acquires prospects in like, he always has good stuff coming out of his farm, but I'm not consistent convinced that guys he's right. He drafts. So those are, those are my three. I feel okay. like there's something I'm missing. that's obvious. I don't know. Yeah. Let me, let me uh, unveil, unveil things in a, who do you think is the worst team of drafting from 2025 to 2039. Let's start at the bottom. Des Moines. Yeah. That's a, man, that's a softball. That is correct. Yes, and that is a softball. Uh, Des Moines has, um, over this time period, averaged picking out of the number eight slot, and their average value is 18.9. Uh, is essentially they rank 19th <laughs> on average, right? So they uh, they generally have uh, have selected uh, less valuable players. They have only been better than average 13% of the time. They have been worse than average 86% of the time. So that's a that's a ugly ugly number. Pick for me, and that's out of the original 24, right? I'm talking about the 24 teams. Pick for me who you think is 23rd, who's worse. Mm. That's that is a tougher question. Hmm. We're going to get to me before too much longer. <laughs> I don't think I'm that bad. Uh, Brooklyn. Bro- yeah, that's what I was. Maybe Brooklyn. The extremely surprising answer is New Orleans. Mm. Really? They are averaging. Uh, they're, they're an interesting one, right? Because they don't have a lot of great variance. They average picking 18th, and their war, their rank um, in value is 20th. They are only better than their average slot 20% of the time, and they are worse than their average slot 80% of the time. So that's an interesting piece of information when you look at whether this is particularly a, a good way to measure. Where um, the heck is Jim getting all these pictures from then? I feel like oh, you know, Jim Armstrong was a trade. Yeah, I think he's... that's right. Well, but I feel, maybe it's all through trades then that he gets, because I always feel like he has. New Orleans, as long as I've been here, has had this endless string of like guys that were six 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 and have bumped into aces. Like there's just a ton of them just coming up all the time. I thought he drafted those guys. I guess he's acquiring them through some yeah. other nefarious method. There you go. It's definitely nefarious, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Already going upwards. It's the voodoo, next, I, think. I think it's going voodoo. up upwards. The next three are the Omaha Cyclones organization that was in Indy during that time period. Long Beach is number 21, and Valencia is number 20. Oh, yeah, Valencia. I should have gotten yeah, yeah. That's, I thought about them, too. Um, yeah. Um, and actually, I should say, I, I see I've got a, a mix-up. Actually, San Antonio is number 20, and Valencia is number 19. I, gotta, I need to fix that. So that's kind of the middle. I don't uh, Jacksonville. I don't know that San Antonio is any fault of their own. They should get a caveat in there for all the pitchers I drafted died. Their arms blew up on the mound. and. Yeah. It's true, but so. on the other hand, I also uh, have to go back and um, and talk about Aaron's 
conversation about drafting fragile players, right? That's fair. If you yeah, draft absolutely. fragile players and they blow up, that's um, that's a risk, right? You've made a choice in your draft selection. Uh, Jacksonville, who was listed, was thought to be a pretty strong drafter, is number 17. Ah. Uh, worse than their position um, 60% of the time. I've got that two is- left. Well, it's a, the one thing I would say is that Tyler's period of drafting in Jacksonville is probably what you're thinking of, and that's relatively – that's kind of the middle section there. Um, oh. Whoever had him before, that was pretty awful. And You're right. Because so. yeah, Tyler, Tyler was a beast. I, I, I talked to Tyler's drafting ability every year. Yeah, there you go. And on, in that light, he averaged, uh, which is interesting, right? If you use the 40% better than uh, average, et cetera. If you look at it just from a pure uh, war ranking, he's he picks 17th and he averages 14th in value. So in that sense, he is getting good value, but he's just uh, hit and miss mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Where do you think, because this would be mostly during the, the uh, Stever years, where do you think the Huntsville-Chicago uh, organization fits? I, I was actually never enamored with Stever's drafting ability. It's his, it's his trading ability that was incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say he's middle of the pack. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's middle low. That's where I would go. He's He had... Um... He had some good picks and some bad picks, but he would reach on guys purely out of left-handedness. Um, yeah, it would. Right. So that's not surprising. Uh, the conversation about Vegas. Vegas rings in at number seven. That's interesting. Uh, averaging picking 24th, um, average value is 13th, so he actually jumps up pretty good in, in <laughs> overall value, but he's only better than uh, 60% of the time. Forty uh, percent of the time, he rings in lower than his uh, selection level. Um, number six is Louisville. Number four, or I'm sorry, uh, number six is Vancouver, which is uh, interesting. Number five is Louisville. Number four, guess. Would that be me? That would not be you. That would be you. <laughs> no, it's <me? laughs> that is Madison. No. Well, okay, I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, Madison. Madison oh. Yeah. They, they like, do how, I, how was I supposed to guess Madison? You give me no hints there. I was like, it can't be me. It's got to be one of you two. Okay. Oh, what the heck? <laughs> now you have all you have me all embarrassed for hoping that I didn't suck. I mean, I knew I was bad. You <laughs> gave me hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, where is California on this anyway? According to Justin, you were just. You were just above Long Beach and Des Moines in terms of total war, but we'll, we'll see. You know, I, I don't think I'm particularly good, but I also, I mean, drafted considerably later than Long Beach and Des Moines. So. Oh, never mind. That's from 2030 to 20. Were you were you still GM in 2030 to 2040? All of that? Probably not. Almost all of it. I think. Yeah. I, okay. 38, I think, was the first year I was gone. 37. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Sorry, I had to do some clicking. Uh, California slash Sacramento, number 11. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll take it. Uh, Much better than right, draft position. Yeah. Uh, 22 is your average draft uh, slot. Uh, 16th is your average dra- draft rank. You're better than uh, 53% of the time. Mm-hmm. Better than you're expected. I like this number, ranking system. <laughs> it is interesting. It's, it's definitely very interesting, right? Um <laughs> 
it, it has some flaws, right? Um, but it's definitely very interesting. Number two is yellow, or number three is yellow springs. Yeah. Um, yeah you'd be up there. Number, number two is an interesting one. Yellow springs, uh, I, I average picking in the number 20 slot, and I average being up in the about 12th. In war, number two is a very interesting one because the second place team is better than average uh, 80% of the time, mm. but they average picking 13th and average ranking at 11. So they're not very far over average most of the time. Mm. And that is San Fernando, Randy. Mm. That is an interesting one to me. I, I'm not, I don't have an opinion on Randy's drafting as far as that goes. And yes, number one is, of course, Aaron. <laughs> well, you know, that's that, that that's that's why I get the guest host spots, I think. Well, that is, that is true. And but there's actually an interesting, extremely interesting nuance on Aaron, because if you go down and you look at the average draft value by slot, right, average, um, you know, war by slot and rank uh, rank that when Aaron when when teams draft in the 29 slot, they average being the ninth best draft. And the reason for that is three huge players that came out of slot number 29 into the Rockville uh, organization. One was Anderson. So, what's that? One of those was Anderson. Yep. And uh, Pepper also. Oh, was uh, he 29? Okay. He yeah. was 29 also. Yeah. Uh, so that one, that actually kind of warps the. Um, Warps the field because if you, it is a pretty reasonable flow, right? Average ranking, when you draft first, you tend to be eighth, right? No better, no worse than eighth. It's very, it's very rare for a guy to draft out of the number one slot and just not get any value out of that, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, on down the line, there's a little bit of noise in it, but all of a sudden you get to 29 and it goes, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. And that's, you know, that's interesting because my take on Aaron's drafts being so good had more to do with the fact that he had at one point a very long stretch of like early to mid first round picks and he didn't screw any of them up. Most people you can, yeah, I feel like the Aaron's um, like hit rate on getting picks has been and having guys work out has been a little bit lucky, but largely due to picking the right players and not having guys that are prone to flaws, not taking the fragile guys, not taking the underdeveloped guys, you know, um, all that work you do putting into this is clearly paid, or all that work you put into doing this is clearly paid off. And I thought that would be a big part of it, but it might just turn out that 29's your lucky spot. And it's I, I should also say that 29 this year is Mal Bird, and that's another really interesting pick, too. There you go. Yeah, I think that... Um... You know, one of the things that I liked, I was having a great deal of fun playing with this uh, little system because you can actually see that if you look at, uh, I will post this and everyone can go through and do their own thing, right? But if you go through and look at your own team and you can see what years you were better than and worse than average and things like that, one of the things that rises Rockville up so uh, so highly is that uh, Aaron is better than his slot 80% of the time. And that is regardless of whether he's picking first, second, third, fifth, tenth, you know, all the way down to 29th. Um, so, yes, I think there's 100. You can see that directly in this is that, yes, when you have a low pick, you don't want to screw it up. And that means that Aaron, let's see, I'm going to pull this up. Um, 
But yeah, when back when Aaron is uh, picking out of the early slots, right? Um, one, two, seven, three, four. Uh, like you pick out of the second slot in 2031, in or out of the sixth slot, sorry, in 2031, and you end up with the second best war ranking, right? <clears throat> Same thing out of a uh, number three, your no, number seven best. You pick out of the number four slot and your number three best, and that's more than just your first round pick, right? Mm-hmm. It's that you're picking out of the number one slot every round, right? Um, and so in that sense, like I said, if you're picking out of number one, you can't ever do better than first, but that's seven positions better than the average number one team picks out, yeah. which is interesting, yeah. right? That is interesting. So anyway, I, I will post this, and uh, I, like I said, I had great fun with it for a night looking at all the different teams and where they sat and, and things like that. Um, and the one caveat that I'll have is, of course, since every sim we play more games, there's more war that gets added. So this is as of like two sims ago. So, well, that's anyway. that's why I'm not first. Uh, you know, we haven't had time for all that amazing Danny Garcia talent to, <laughs> to change things, right? Okay, well, that's true. Uh, with that, let's wrap this one up. Um, I hope people had fun listening. Thank you, Aaron, for uh, being a first time guest, and thanks, Ron, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was it was great. All right, yeah, thanks. Much fun. You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at fesleyandstudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.